0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Um, our Coach's corner discussion is a um, experience Jeff recently had with a client of ours, and um, a conversation that the client and Jeff had about um, their CPA. Then we're going to talk about um, what is enough—enough um, enough for you, enough for me—and and kind of that that broad term and and what it means. Um, really financially and otherwise. Um, We're also going to discuss a Twitter poll that we came across that um, asked people what they consider to be rich. Um, And then finally, we are going to wrap up with our top five. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 53 of Untucked. This is Megan.
1: And Mike. And this is Jeff.
2: It's impossible to hum while holding your nose. (laughs) 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 Proven. Yeah, you just got to try it. Give it a whirl. So my wife, Melissa, I tell her this. Fun fact last night. And she proceeds to, to do it with her mouth open. I'm like, that's not humming.
0: So she was just like,
2: ah? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much. I'm like you're cheating. It's not humming.
0: All right. Cool. That was actually a fun fact.
2: Yeah, I like how you actually just tried it, Meg.
0: I was trying to disprove it.
2: Yeah. It's kind of hard not to. Not like if someone them. says like, you know, you can't lick your elbow. Yeah, kind of hard not to try doing that. Yeah. If you say like, oh, I won't, I won't try. You, you, as soon as that person like goes somewhere where no one sees them, they're gonna try to lick their elbow.
0: I I can confidently say if someone says anything about licking anything, I'm out. We only got Sixers.
2: We're, are we talking about the Phillies? Aaron Nola another <laughs> tough outing last <laughs> night. Bullpen another tough outing. Aaron Nola doesn't pitch well. Phils were up 5-4 in the eighth, proceeded to give up um, five runs and lose 9-5. So, Same old story with the Phillies anymore. Uh-huh.
0: All right, Sixers. One and one in the Eastern Conference, Conference Semis against yeah. the Atlanta Hawks.
2: It was a little tough to watch game one. They were never really in the game until the fourth quarter. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then by that point, it was just too much to over like too, too late, too late. They got really lucky in that last like three or four minutes, like ball, the ball just bounced their way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say they, they did a fair amount to make a lot of that happen, but yeah, it was too little too late. Yeah.
2: But last night,
0: I mean, there were a couple, there were some moments in the second quarter where they gave up the, you know, was it like maybe 15 or 16-point lead? Yeah. And then end up going into halftime up 12, and then very quickly it's a tie game in the third quarter. So, I mean, it's the playoffs, though. And, you know, I think a lot of people, probably myself included, were a little bit overconfident going into the series, um, even with Joe and his injuries. So part of me now that they tied it up is – kind of glad that they lost game 1 cuz i think it you know maybe lit a little bit of a fire and made them realize that this is the playoffs. Everybody's good and the hawks aren't somebody you can just roll over. Joe's playing out of his mind.
2: He had 39 points game 1, 40 points game 2 with
0: a partially or torn I, meniscus or something.
2: I'm going to I'm going to throw this out there that that he's had that all year. Or I'm going to say he's probably had that for a while. And then when he took that spill, yeah. He felt like, "Hey, my knee doesn't feel what they gave him an MRI and said, "Oh, you have a small tear." Yeah. Cuz he doesn't look any different. In fact, he looks better. <laughs> and if it was something that was like causing him pain, mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be able to like I said that to you. Like there's no yeah. way he's going to be able to 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 move and jump and come down the way he he used to yeah. with a like a tear in his meniscus. Yeah. He looks exa- he looks better. <clears throat> He's playing out of his mind, dude. It's crazy.
0: So he was a MVP candidate and they announced the MVP yesterday it was Nikola Jokic from the Nuggets. Why
1: do they do that in the middle of the playoffs? I don't
0: know why they do it. They did six man a year in like the first round, they did coach of the year on like a off week. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Um yeah, Joe's playing great. Um Tobias is playing really well.
2: Ben Let's, let's hang with Tobias for a second. Mm-hmm. Comes out yesterday, last night. Mm-hmm. He scores like the first 12 points mm-hmm. out of 14 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of just, he's in the game, but he, he, he doesn't. That's kind of what I like about this team, because then Shake comes into the game later. Mm-hmm. Shake Milton, and I'm telling Stinks. you. Stinks, until he, last night. <laughs> he was like, oh, you want to bench me over Maxi?" And he comes in, he scores 14 points in seven minutes, dude. Four threes. The Sixers were like down one. Mm-hmm. They were up like 16, down one. All of a sudden, they're up 13 after after he comes into the game for seven minutes. Yeah, up until um, that
0: point, though, he shot like four for 39. So he deserved to be on the played well bench. in the
2: beginning of the season, and then he played like dog crap towards the end of the season, which is why he's been sitting on the bench. Yeah. But I love, this is kind of what I like about the team is that if you have a Tobias come out and score 12 of the first 14, he doesn't have to do that all game. Yeah. Is he capable of it? Yeah, Tobias is. Yeah. But if we're not going to get that from um, Shake, then Furkan's going to do it. Yeah. And if Furkan doesn't do it, then Danny Green's going to do it. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things I really like about the Sixers is is, is, is if that can happen consistently. Mm-hmm. And if they all suck, then. Like any other team, they're, they're not going to win that game. But we need Joe to do his thing. We need Ben to do his thing, whether it's play unbelievable defense or give me 25 and 12 and 10. And then we need those role players to just step up when we need you to step up. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm I'm saying all this in anticipation of next series. Of the Nets. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have any shot against them unless they do what I just said
0: yeah and I mean I would argue I, I completely agree but like they go as Joe goes like yeah. the the balance created among everybody else is important but if I mean he has to continue playing at this level and he has all season when he hasn't been injured so you know I have no reason
2: to believe he won't no rise. one can stop him like no one can stop him uh-huh. I I think I mean, last night was, in my opinion, obvious. Mm-hmm. I said to my son, "I'm like, dude, Sixers win this one. Like, they're gonna kill them. Yeah. Now they didn't kill them, but I'm like, they're like, it's, it's, they're going to win. They just got embarrassed at home. You think mm-hmm. they walked back in that locker and it was like, okay, we'll get them next time. Doc probably ripped them new assholes. You just got embarrassed in front of your home crowd of a full capacity crowd. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're not gonna come out and lay an egg game two again in front of that." By the way, everybody got a Wendy's Frosty today.
0: Who missed the free throws? Yeah.
2: I don't know the guy's name. So
0: at the Wells Fargo Center, if the opposing team, a member of the opposing team in the second half, misses two consecutive free throws, everybody gets a Frosty. <laughs> I think it's everybody who has <laughs> a the, ticket. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I think you have to have a ticket. You're right. Yeah. But <clears throat> um, yeah, so I mean, it's exciting. New Jersey's good. The Nets are steamrolling um, Milwaukee. They're up two zero there. James Harden is also not playing, and they're still beating the you know reigning two time MVP convincingly. So,
2: I want to see that. I want to see Ben try to shut down Durant.
0: Ah, well, that's no one shuts down Durant. Slow I wanna him see down.
2: It. I want to see it. It's not possible, dude. I want to see how Brooklyn plans to deal with Joel.
0: I don't think Brooklyn plans to deal with Joel. I think they plan to beat us everywhere else. Yeah. Which is probably a pretty effective strategy when you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. James Harden isn't playing. He's not playing in this series. He tore his hamstring. Is it torn? I think it's a tweak.
2: Is that all it is? A tweak? I don't know. I'm not sure. What I thought it. his season was done. I thought oh, that was no, no, official. no. no. Okay, all yeah. right, then, then I'm mistaken. I
0: think they've basically said he's, he's not going to play in this series. Okay. <clears throat> so we'll see. I'll if, be
1: watching. <laughs> if conference they get finals. through. Okay. Yeah.
0: So if they get through I mean, I can't Atlanta.
1: If there's, a, if there's a hockey conflict. I'm probably gonna we're going <laughs> to have
0: some Mike Traynor
1: Sixers yeah. content. Some, yeah, <laughs> some, some analysis. <laughs> all right.
2: So I met with a client yesterday. And we're going through all the stuff that we had to cover for the day and typical updates in addition to that. And at the end, she tells me that her um, CPA told her that she could have made more money in blue chip stocks last year than she did with us. It's very
1: insightful on on the CPA's part. I mean, you can literally do that every year. Look back and say you could have done better if you'd done this, that, or the other. What's a blue chip stock? Because if blue chip isn't Vanguard, mega cap growth. What do you mean? Well, what
2: what would you consider blue chip? Like Johnson and Johnson, and yeah, like the
1: established, the 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 old, the old Dow, Dow components, or some of the S and P five hundred big names. That didn't that didn't lead last year. hmm? That didn't lead the markets last year. Like large, large growth did.
2: Right, right, right. Which we have a tilt towards in this client's portfolios. Right. Why, why on earth would this guy think that she could have done better in blue chip stocks? Like his advice was wrong. His commentary was wrong. And he actually had the ability of hindsight. I'm mm-hmm. hot about it, by the way. Like I'm really, I'm frustrated with someone from a different profession Commenting to our client about what we could have done better for that client the previous year.
0: From an investment
2: standpoint. Specifically from an investment standpoint, which I'm like wildly bothered by. And maybe I'm wildly bothered by it because it came from a CPA. And that's what happens a lot. CPAs, for some strange reason, feel like they have the knowledge to tell... Individual investors, what they should do, and that advice is better than what their
1: CFP is telling them. Right, with no context whatsoever. Right, it's in a vacuum. It's It'd be like us return. commenting to the client, hey, we could have found more deductions for you last year than your CPA did.
2: You should buy an investment property and okay. deduct it out of like the blue. Like we just mm-hmm. tell them that.
0: But isn't that unfortunately just kind of a function of? Like financial services and the the ambiguity among like the different roles like a lot of times i think people assume that their cpa has an awareness of investment management and i don't know why i don't know if it's just like a a common person's thinking is like oh they do taxes so they should understand investing i know it doesn't make sense to us but i think i think a lot of our clients feel that way
1: yeah and i, I it's funny you say that because it surprises me when you hear somebody say oh yeah i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go meet with my accountant about like my investments right and and i like, why would you be talking to your accountant about mm-hmm. investing
2: i mean i hate to throw all accountants under the bus but a lot of them do present themselves like they know everything yeah. about everything mm-hmm. so yeah they they do chime in on like oh they're this is what I'm doing with my investments this year and you, you should do the same. But this is what frustrates me even more because I've been in meetings with clients and CPAs and I know the CPA is that kind of person mm-hmm. where they, they've made a couple comments during the course of the meeting about like investments. So then it gets to a portion of the meeting where I'm the one presenting now and I like literally stop and I go to the CPA. So what do you think we should do, John? <laughs> John, you, I mean, you... You've mentioned AMC you've mentioned GameStop and large cap uh, or blue chip stocks so how do you think we should reposition Sally's account and they go oh, oh I can't uh I can't give that advice like they don't want to be on the hook for it when you put them on the spot and like are gonna document it but they want to like shoot zingers across the bow to your client when you're not there it bothers the shit out of me you have to be licensed to give investment advice
0: they don't mean to refute that <laughs>
2: No, I, Mike and I were arguing about it in his office like a week ago. Like You have to have a license in some way, shape, or form to give investment advice. You have to have a 7, a 6, a 65, a CFP. You have to have something. There is a regulator for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, yeah. Uh, uh, sure. There is a regulatory body. We don't have to, to be paid
1: for. That. You give it all the investment advice you want if you're, you know, a, a shitist sure. sure. To be paid. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> to be paid for. But I, I am laughing also at the blue chip. Like, it's very strange that whoever this CPA was said blue chip stocks would have served you better last year. Because it's actually, to your point, Jeff, not true. The and technology I, sector would have served you best th- if you were th- invested only in tech stocks.
2: Our client could tell that I was like... Getting defensive. I, I wasn't getting that defensive. I was more, it was more like I was laughing and I was more like, God, this happens all the time. And client, look how wrong the guy is. Yeah. Like, first of all, this client is 68 years old. She's got plenty of money. She probably can't outspend her money. She did 16% last year. Why does she and, need to earn more? And she pulls a lot of income from the account. Right, too. According. Why does she need to earn more right. and take on more volatility? Like what is your you don't know anything about her position.
0: No. And that's what it gets made in a that those comments are made in a vacuum about one facet of this client's plan that he knows an inkling about. And I mean, I, you know, I don't want to play this car, but he's an old dude.
2: Because dude. old white dudes think they know everything about everything. Well, and
0: they also think they're entitled to give everybody unsolicited advice. We'll generalize CPAs. We'll generalize old white dudes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. And the, the two of them are a horrible combination. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I, yeah, I was really frustrated by it. Um, I told her, I go, look, just if Roger wants to give me a call. Have Roger give me a call and we can talk. Or if he wants to be a part of these meetings, I welcome it.
0: Well, we dealt with another example. Well, it's kind of been ongoing with a client of ours who has um, a lot of capital losses. And they're like in the bank, we'll say. And they've afforded this client like the ultimate flexibility in income planning, in gifting, I mean, we have had to do no capital gains planning because of the losses that they've accumulated through tax loss harvesting over you know, the course of our relationship with them. Some
2: through our investments, mm-hmm. some through ones they had before us. Right. and Right. Exactly. So we've always positioned those
0: losses as an asset, as a really valuable asset. And we have a track record to prove that they have been super valuable this cpa every time he engages with our client he's like why aren't you using these why aren't you just resetting basis for the for the sake of resetting basis and like it leaves our client feeling more and more confused every time he leaves the accountant's office it leads to a conversation with us and then a conversation with the accountant and it is a complete cluster because And you've had the most recent engagement. I wasn't privy to the conversation. I don't even... I can't even understand where he gets off positioning them the way he does. But it leads to just this... It's just this like constant conversation that goes in a circle. Because we can't defend, if that's even the right word, adequately to our client in explaining how important these are to your plan
2: we can defend it adequately we have and then the most recent the problem is they the client just gets confused because the accountant says you're gonna you don't want to waste these yeah so the, the the last communication I said I called a meeting with the three of us client accountant and me I'm like what am I missing what is the hurry why would we Update basis when we have $350,000 of carry forward losses that we're just going to use over the next eight to 10 years. And they'll pay no capital gains tax over the next eight to 10 years. Where if I update the basis in one year, next year they're going to pay capital gains tax. And he's like, oh, well, if they die, they're wasted. Mm -hmm. Who gives a shit? If you didn't use your losses because the money gets stepped up anyway.
0: Right. That was the justification. Yeah, yeah. What
1: what do you mean by, um, explain updating basis? Resetting. What what, what does that even mean? We have
2: 350,000 of carry forward losses. Yeah. We have over 300,000 in gain in a taxable account. Okay. So just update the basis, sell positions to realize the gain so that you don't have. The and, gain and, anymore
1: yeah yeah and use the losses to offset L- that, and then yeah. just go from there and then go from, but then you'd
2: pay capital gains tax when there's
1: earnings now right and if the if and when the market continues to go up you're going to have capital gains to contend with yeah. especially if you're if you're gifting you're drawing income again that's and,
0: yeah that's the part of it to the first example like this is a recommendation made w- knowing nothing about this client's financial plan Or the amount of income they drop. Look how frustrated he is. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) It's it's just, um, it's interesting. And and I mean, I feel like we don't do it. And maybe that's me being naive, naive, but like, I don't look at a tax return and think, oh, wow, here's a way to improve it. Or like, I don't look at someone's legal documents and say, oh, you should really be doing this instead of that. Like we stay in our lane, we seek help where needed and we don't offer unsolicited advice. I don't think so.
2: I do that. I do look at tax returns, not to see if the CPA missed anything, but if I don't understand something, I ask the CPA to educate me. That's different. We look at legal documents and we say, we think you should do this with it because your goal may have changed. Let's get the Attorney involved right. and have them educate us and let us know if we should or not CPAs don't approach it that way They give the advice as if that is the right advice mm-hmm. Without asking us I'm so I'm, I'm sitting here head down Meg like getting get like going crazy because I think it's also a function of like a Lot of a, of a job of an accountant is you do a 1040 and it's it there isn't a whole lot of value provided and I think a lot of them judge what we do as we're not providing a lot of value and we charge one percent to do it how he even said to her i bet he made more money than you did like it's insane it's insane she made like four hundred thousand. 000 the market gave her like 400 grand last year more than that i didn't charge her 400 grand like, what are you talking about i think our fee was like 15 grand it's just, that's what frustrates me. It's like we mm-hmm. add a ton of freaking value. I don't lose any sleep over what I charge. Uh, when I when, You have no idea what we do for people, the time no, we spend, no the value idea. we bring. And they just think because people pay us 75 basis points or a point or a point, in, a point and a quarter, like that, it's too much. And I'll, I'll argue it till I die, dude. I don't think it's too much at all.
0: Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe it's they don't feel, like you said, they don't add, they don't, preparing a tax return isn't adding a ton of value. So they feel the need to justify their fee. And like, oh, let me throw in some investment advice for the $500 I just charged this woman to spend 30 minutes filling in TurboTax.
1: Yeah, it's like you dump your paperwork off of what happened last year. And then they take that information that's static. It is what it is. And then they- Input. Input. There's no forward planning or like just tax prep only is just that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing more to it, but it's also interesting. Like, I guess if, if I'm a CPA and I see somebody come in and they're, they give me their, you know, account statements and there's like a hundred percent of their investments are in like one stock, I would probably be like, Hey, yeah, uh, sure. You think that that, but, but we're the opposite.
2: You said it best, Meg, just stay in your lane and if if you start to get outside your lane find the professional that deals with that topic outside your lane and ask for their help
0: and ask for help yeah i I mean i think that's like don't tell don't instruct don't advise position it the way you said like educate me on what we're doing or what you're thinking so i can understand where this is coming from because if the cpa had done that had said to our client hey I don't know anything about anything, but I'm just curious about the approach. Like, would Jeff mind having a conversation? There's nobody who would mind less than Jeff Masternardo in having that conversation.
2: If like, it was approached to me that way. That's what I mean. If it, if it was brought I'd up i welcome that way. it. Like, hey, let me help educate you. Yeah. That's what we do around here. Yeah. We're educators.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We good?
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: three types of enough this was written by jeremy i tried to find his last name and
2: no last name yeah. i saw it We saw it too okay uh
0: calibrating capital it's his blog jeremy's article attempts to define the levels of enough we strive for in our lives type one is foundational the essentials food shelter and clothing type two jeremy calls the established enough to meet our type one needs but most of our wants as well and type 3 is how we feel content or discontent happy or envious this level is often why people never feel like they have enough because of worry
2: or comparisons
0: what do you guys think
2: i don't like i don't like jeremy oh yeah i thought his the way he wrote this was pretty pretentious
0: really yeah
2: i didn't i didn't like it at all are you I,
0: talking about specifically like his examples about his like Florida trips and what led to him feeling these certain feelings, like the yacht and the home and the-
2: That was later. The oh, initial was- Oh, so was, you felt this early. And almost certainly if you're reading this, we already have the essential enough. Like people who don't have enough- Wouldn't essentially be reading a finance blog or Wouldn't whatever. be reading his blog. His blog. I thought it was really like you didn't like there was no need for that in the article. So that set the tone for me. It was literally type one, the essentials. Mm -hmm. This is the bare bones of what we actually need for most of us. And certainly if you're reading this, we already have this. Yeah, it was lame.
0: Yeah, I guess the end almost certainly if you're reading this part of it. Because for most of us, like, we already have this. I think in the essence of what he's trying to describe, we have to assume that the
2: essentials are covered. And most certainly. Poor people don't read my blog. Okay. Like, that was just, there was no purpose to it. But he threw it in there. And then he threw in later, like, how his family has, they have everything. (laughs) We have the established. And, oh, I flirt with the emotional Um, (laughs) it was just, you can keep Jeremy. I was like, what is this freaking guy's last name? Oh, he didn't even put his last name.
0: (laughs) Probably so people like you can't find him on the internet.
2: Um, I'll give you my quick take and I'll turn it over to you guys. Um, it had me actually feeling pretty bad at first. Like when I first was reading this, um, and trying to understand what he said by the word enough, which he said a million times during the, during the article, um, the essential enough, like do we have enough to pay rent? Do we have enough food in the refrigerator? Do we have enough like to eat? Like that just kind of struck a chord with me. Like shit, man, there's like people out there, obviously that, that live at that essential level. And I just feel blessed that, you know, majority of people I roll with don't have to worry about that. They know there's roof over their head and they know there's food on the table. So that was, That was my my first gut reaction. Um, I think the concept is kind of of interesting, that a lot of us kind of sit around this established. We have enough to live the lifestyle we want to live, but then we get teased by the emotional enough when we see our friend that has a nicer car, and, oh, I want to go get that, but then bringing myself back down to reality to just stay in my established zone. I don't feel like I struggle with that much in my life. So, but I, I think that's probably a real struggle for a lot of people.
1: It is. And I mean, I know a lot of them are like that. Yeah. No matter. They just get consumed with like, I would say maybe envy is probably the main, main yeah. emotion there. Um, and it's, yeah, for me, I, I'm kind of more like you, Jeff. I don't care that um, my buddy lives in a house twice the size of my, like, or, or they have, like, I just don't, I don't care, I mean, it's good for them it doesn't doesn't make me feel differently about me where or where we are you know, yeah,
0: yeah, I feel similarly I think the the idea of enough is interesting because it's so subjective, right like what is enough for me is different for you beyond like the essential or uh like like that element, the established element of it, just that like. If someone were to ask me what is enough financially, you know, personally, professionally, like it's just such a, God, it's like it's an overwhelming thing to even think about or to have to maybe articulate. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I liked the way, despite the pretentious nature of his opening, um, I liked the way he described this um, in covering, you know, your important, necessary bases and then being able to kind of have a life that you feel, you know, content with or fulfilled by. But then I think, as you were describing, Jeff, like that, the emotional element of it is just, it's such a um, difficult target, right? There's, There's no way to really, like, again, to kind of determine person by person how you deal with that. I mean, we just all said that, we don't or we don't feel that type of kind of envy or, but it's so obvious that so many people do and we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. So it's just an interesting way to kind of think about enough.
2: Yeah. And he mentioned in the article how it's seeing someone in a social media, it's made that emotional enough uh-huh. that much more drastic today yes. because of that. Digital um, neighbors. Yeah. I I, um, I don't know. I guess I've always kind of felt during the course of my life and as our lifestyle, has gotten better over time, I feel like I've kind of gotten to a point where I don't really care if my lifestyle changes much from where it is now. And I've always, all along the way, thought about, in the back of my mind, how am I gonna handle if I have to take it back? Like if something drastically bad was to happen with our business and my job, you know, would I have any problem like just selling my house and? moving somewhere smaller like i don't want to do that but i i don't think i'd look at that as such a horrible thing because I, I i actually think it would be good for my kids to like see like you don't need all the stuff you don't need all the shit to like be happy you just need like enough and a little bit more
0: yeah but i guess that's the point like, enough is just it's different for everyone Like there's a lot of people who in that scenario couldn't do what you're describing, right? Like couldn't sell their house and move somewhere smaller. Well, you'd have to. I think
1: most people are, to me, adaptability is like something I think most people have. And so like if you're forced to do something like that, I think most people just really quickly kind of get used to the new normal. Um Maybe not, but I think mo- I would say most people would.
2: Yeah, I don't have a ton of examples of it. Like, I don't have a ton of um, people that I know, Mike, that like that are susceptible to that um, Joneses, right? Keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And I have a buddy that, you know, him and his wife got themselves into like a shit ton of debt. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I remember why. I mean, I know, sh- you know, it was some student loan stuff and some credit card stuff and they were given money to buy a house and they did that. And then all the like the bad stuff started happening. The debt started happening. They had to sell that house, move into an apartment. They contacted like a debt consolidation person. They didn't go out for like a year and a half. Like we didn't see them We kept in contact. And then like two years later, he was like, yeah, man, like we are back on track. We paid off our debts. We're buying a house like and no one looked at them like. Sure. What losers, it was like, dude, good for them, man. I felt bad for the person that lent them money to buy the house, like the person lent them like 25, 30 grand, 50 grand yeah. that went away. Yeah. But it was a kick in the ass and it was like the best thing for them. Um, so, yeah, I think I agree. Like, if you had to and you're not so proud that you let your pride get in the way, which is probably a problem for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can be adaptable. You got no, um, Meg, you have no like keeping up with the Joneses just isn't in the DNA.
0: I don't think so. I mean, I guess I've been pretty fortunate in that over the course of my working life, when I've been paying for my own shit, like I've had the means and the ability to, do it myself and i've really never restricted i mean i've i've gone and done and seen and spent and i I feel like very happy and content with those decisions myself but i've made them all i think if i'm being completely honest with myself i think i've made them all because i've wanted to do them and not because i mean obviously there's elements of like weddings and bachelorette parties and and shit like that that you're like sometimes you do because maybe it's not keeping up with the joneses but just because you have to do right and that's maybe the one area if i look back in the last like eight years of my life that i've probably spent the most money that i wish i could have back (laughs) but i think if i if i take that aside I like what I like and my my this my likes have definitely become more expensive as I've made more money. But I, I don't know how much of that is because of my environment or how much of it is just because stuff I like now.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think a perfect example of how you don't really care about keeping up with the Joneses was the car you drove until recently.
0: <laughs> I've had my Jeep for almost 2 years, uh, right? We got to stop years? like doing that <laughs> yeah i mean i, I maybe it's not your, even the, the
2: fender was falling off of your car i didn't carb. have
0: a cover on one of the <laughs> one of the rearview mirrors um or the side, side view. view mirrors i think too part of it is like i'm just not a very materialistic person so what is that face <laughs> no, for <I'm> kidding, <laughs> kidding you know that allows like like my money is spent i don't know it sounds corny but like experiencing things. The-
1: <laughs> it's
2: true though. It's not it's not bullshit.
0: No, I know, but it sounds corny. But that's why like I don't compare like the bag I'm carrying to the bag someone else is carrying or the right. car I'm driving to the car someone else is driving. That just doesn't cross my mind for a
2: second. I do see some stuff and I'll be like, "Ooh, that is super cool. <laughs> I want one of those." But it's typically not like a Mercedes. Right. Cuz I could care less. It's not like a huge big ticket item like that. You showed me like a cooler backpack. I'm like, that's awesome.
0: Oh, like well, that's that super was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Like,
2: oh, showed me like a chair, like a lawn chair that you go watch soccer games in. It had like shocks on the back, <laughs> and it rocks. I was like, oh, I gotta get one of them. <laughs> it's like sixty five bucks.
0: Uh, what do we want to do next? What does rich mean to you? This was written by Chris Abdelmasi. His blog, Party at Moon Tower. Chris did a Twitter poll to gauge what amount of money people considered rich and whether there was a relationship between a person's net worth and what they considered to be rich. Did you guys take the survey? I did not. No. Yeah, me either.
2: I didn't need the survey to tell me what I what I think.
0: What do you think, Rich?
2: Um. Well, obviously, there's like, there's a quantifiable a quantifiable number yeah which i don't really believe i think if you if you were to be considered rich today by like a social standpoint it's like 10 million bucks like that would be like rich <clears throat> but that's completely like not how i feel obviously
0: right and he picked on those people he's like many people sent me their definitions of being rich, incorporating age expenses, what makes them happy, where they live and so on. I wasn't looking for thoughtful responses. <laughs> right. I was looking for gut impression.
2: <clears throat> right. Like, Because there's everyone like uh, my kids, friends can come over and be like, oh my God, you're rich. But like, I wouldn't consider us rich. Right. But I'm sure we're considered rich to other people. Just like I consider other people. Like there's always, someone always has more money. Someone always has more money than you. Yes. There's always people out there that have more money than you, then live more comfortably than you. So it's very subjective to the person you're asking. But I think I would agree that where I think maybe everybody would agree that or not everybody, but 10 million is you're wealthy from a, from a from a dollars and cents standpoint you're wealthy. You can at in the in the area I grew up, in the area I live now, <clears throat> if you had 10 million bucks in the bank, you can probably live however you wanna live in this area. Uh-huh. You can go to the shore as long as you want. You can go out as many times as you want. You can buy whatever you want around here and live a pretty comfortable lifestyle. Uh-huh. Like unbudgeted for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, so the, I guess, uh, results. Of this four hundred person, or the survey that, as of the time we're doing this, four hundred people responded to, um, was that? I just had. Was it five million? Almost everyone who took the survey feels that five million is the bar for being rich.
2: I thought it was like four times your wherever you are. Yeah. Is, what, is how people pretty much replied. Like if you were worth a million bucks, you thought four million okay, or so five million was rich.
0: So five million would have been the number that was most
2: reflective of the respondents personally then? Probably. Okay. I got a little confused in it. I yeah. thought the concept was, was interesting. Certainly interesting enough for us to talk about. Um, I don't like the question. I don't like thinking about your wealth and if you're rich or not, mm-hmm. as defined by dollars and cents.
1: Yeah. And, it, and in a separate article I just saw recently, it was basically saying like, you're wealthy only if and when you never worry about your finances. Mm-hmm. So if you if you have trouble like sleeping at night or you're getting kind of worried about what's going on in the market, like, then you're not wealthy no matter how much you have.
2: That's a great way to define it. That's a great way to define it. From from a dollars and cents standpoint. Cuz we know people that are worth a million bucks and they spend like 30 grand a year. Right. And they get 42,000 a year from social security.
1: Th- and like, they're not worried about the They're finances.
2: not worried yeah. about a damn thing. In yeah. fact, they're rich. Right. They're rich, bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I th- and I, that's I agree, but that was like what he wasn't trying to do. right? He was trying to quantify, right.
1: and move. Most- which which also is you want to nitpick. It's like okay, the dude in Boise, Idaho, is a very different number to qualify as quote unquote rich than someone in, in Manhattan would say. Like it's sort of laughably different, really. Right? I, I mean, shit
0: on Boise. <laughs>
1: you Ever been to I'll
2: Boise? It's no, I never have. Actually.
0: It is beautiful.
2: Yeah, I didn't like, I don't, I don't like it because a lot of people that I see that have a lot of stuff and a lot of material things are pretty freaking miserable. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, but- really, I
2: mean, honestly, like their marriages suck. They hate each other. They hate their kids and they have everything they can possibly want. And so do their kids and they're miserable.
0: Yes. The three questions to the survey were, what is your net worth? What is the minimum net worth for someone to be considered rich? And what is your age? Like, there was no other yeah. elements, not your location, not how good is your marriage right? on here. It was strictly like, is there a relationship? First of all, what do people gauge as rich? And then is there a relationship between a person's wealth and what they view as?
2: Yeah. It's interesting. I think this was a good concept to create <laughs> this kind of conversation, like at a party, when you're t- Or actually, actually, probably not at <laughs> a party. Probably yeah. not because if you're dealing with people of different statuses, it can get pretty ugly.
0: Yeah, and uncomfortable.
2: And uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you define as rich? If you had to put a number on it.
0: Yeah, probably. I would say probably five to ten. Yeah. I know that's a
2: big range,
1: but just a mill isn't like. No. Yeah, I think it's eight figures. I mean, it used to be a million 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, millionaires and stuff. Yeah. But the millionaires are very common now. Yeah. I thought his one fact, it might be right, but I'm I'm, I'm calling into a question. He says, as of 2020, to be a one percenter in the U.S., you need 11 million. That seems really high to be the 1% cutoff. Doesn't I it? questioned that too.
2: Yeah. I, that actually struck me as it may be false, but... I guess we'll take him at his word. I know, when to, to be a top five percenter, you're talking like a million bucks, right? Uh,
1: there's a you know, he linked to a table, so that would be. A, I didn't no, understand that five percent. I didn't
2: understand the table. <laughs> <laughs> it was Camille C's Twitter post. I didn't understand that at all. I did like that he referenced one of my favorite lines from Chris Rock. Yeah.
0: the Shaquille O'Neal yeah it was yeah. a great one
2: yeah cause when you th- cause I was a kid at that point when, when he gave that stand up and he's like S- Shaquille O'Neal uh, Shaquille O'Neal is rich and I was like dude he is like he just signed like a 32 million dollar con- like it's crazy and he's like but the person who writes his
1: check he's wealthy and I was like
2: oh shit he's yeah. right dude <laughs> I think he had
1: a similar joke about if Oprah woke up one day with Bill Gates' money she'd jump out a window <laughs>
2: That's pretty funny too.
1: <laughs> so, we
2: have any conclusions to the rich commentary?
0: I don't think so. I, I mean, I think it's like the enough commentary. Yeah. It's, it's too nuanced to be like a number or a clearly defined amount. Right. So, which... to our
2: listening audience, what is your number and what is enough? <laughs> <laughs>
0: tweet us top five
2: top fivers
0: top five things with and in the title or name
1: I have 15 by the way damn man I can't come close to that many
2: and I, I mean I don't even know where to land
1: my top five Meg do you want to go because Jeff um, is going to have
2: a lot of options to avoid overlap. I'll have to pivot yeah. overlap. Yeah. All right. Although I don't think you guys have any of mine. Maybe one. All right.
0: <laughs> I asked Christian. Oh God. <laughs> no, I'm just going to tell you the one he, he said. <laughs> Standard and Pores.
2: <laughs> That's great. I love it.
0: And he said hashtag money <laughs> hashtag oh, <my> finance. God. <laughs>
2: Standard Of course <laughs> Okay um, So is that one of yours or no? No Okay
0: uh, Parks and Rec Just like on. One of my favorite TV shows Okay Chicken and Waffles
2: That's one Is of my... just a one... Quality
0: combination uh-huh. of food
2: Yep yeah.
0: um, We got Hugs and Kisses Oh that's a good one Iconic Just Yeah, uh-huh. of, a, yeah. of a card well, XO action Let's go with and one, the former basketball brand. Ah, oh,
2: interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Had some And One shoes. Yeah. One and then, finally, wine and spirits.
1: Hmm. That's pretty good. She had two of mine. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll go. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll have it overlap. Um, Let's start off with Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. <laughs> uh-huh. um, in the movie genre, I've got. PB&J, otherwise known as peanut butter and (laughs) jelly. Oh, another good one. I've got Guns and Roses. Uh Good.
0: Uh
1: Surf and Turf. Ooh. Very good. And finally, I've got uh, Jack and Coke. Had to get a a, a drink I thought about the drink angle. I couldn't think of one.
0: Gin and tonic.
2: That's a good one, Meg.
0: I'm trying to think of things you like. You don't like gin or tonic, do you?
1: (laughs)
2: I don't like either. <laughs> let me go with a company, Johnson & Johnson. We all used their products. I have a couple. Um, let me go with um, Bob Marley and the Whalers. The iconic black and white.
0: Like the colors?
2: Like it's neither black or white. Like you could say... There's no gray area. It's not black and white.
0: Or there is a gray area. It's there not is a gray black and white. It's
2: not black right. and white. Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, as a show, I mean, I watched as a kid. Like, I, it was it was the best. And then finally... Um,
1: it's going to be a cartoon, isn't it? Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Well, that of, is, but is cartoon. your final one a cartoon? No. no.
0: Is it... Oh God.
1: Marky Mark and the
2: Funky Bunch.
0: (laughs) All right. Okay.
2: Well, hey, thanks for listening.
0: (laughs) Bye.
1: See ya.